everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. Uh, I am your host, Taylor Rockwell. I am returned from vacation. I am no longer Island Taylor, though hopefully I am slightly relaxed. Although I'm going to be starting us off on a slightly negative uh, approach because I'm going to say with me today, I've got a two-timing backstabber. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Oh, that wasn't the intro I was expecting. <laughs> Good goodness. I thought you were I mean, relaxed from your holiday. What's going on here? I was, and then I, I, I update, update my podcast feed, and there's Ryan Bailey talking to Daryl Grove. You talk to the other co-host. Is that how it's going to be, Ryan? You go Look. back and forth? Look, I didn't know how this is going. I didn't know this was going to be awkward. He approached me. Okay, it's not. It's not you. It's me. All right. <laughs> it's it's not what it looks like. He approached me. All right. Exactly. Cool. All right. Then I'll I'll take my issues up with Daryl. But no, it was a really great uh, chat. I always enjoy hearing you talk about Man City, uh, especially before the season has begun, when mm. there's just a little bit less gloating. I think is is the way I like to look at it. And then they go out and destroy everybody. And then I have to talk to Ryan and hear all about how they're the best team in the world, second only to uh, Wimbledon, I believe. Is that the order? That is the correct order. Thank okay. you for noting all that. Right. Yeah, and it is lovely to be speaking to you as well. I do miss the enthusiasm you put in at the top of the pod. It just <laughs> it just warms me a little bit. I love it. <laughs> right up until I call you a, a, a two-timing back. I mean, yeah, the, the five seconds after that were unpleasant this week, but, uh, you know. <laughs> That's fair. The open was great. I mean, at least I didn't quiz you on Beatles members, because that, that got intense real fast between you and Daryl. I, I wasn't ready for the, his level of knowledge on the Beatles. I forget that he has sort of patches of knowledge that go super-duper deep, and uh, if you scratch them, he'll, he'll, he'll go down that road with you really quickly. Yeah, I tried to match him pound for pound. I was just behind, I think. Just behind. <laughs> you, you, did, you did well. You did well. Better than I would have done. That is certainly the case. But we're not here to talk about the Beatles. We're instead here to talk about the weekend that was. We're going to talk a little bit about some other competitions, mostly, though, for this week. The Premier League is back. We're going to be talking the Premier League, and we're going to be starting where I think a lot of people have started, Manchester United for Chelsea nil. We'll be getting to Man City and Liverpool later on as well as a few other Premier League teams but Man United 4 Chelsea nil not the result that I expected going in Ryan what were your expectations for this game given the ban for Chelsea given the sort of the inability to invest combined with a lot of kind of lone players coming back uh, Frank Lampard stepping in then for Man United some new faces but Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sort of under pressure Mm. what were you kind of thinking was going to be the case heading into this game I thought there might be a few goals in this one, but I thought they might be more evenly distributed yeah. than they were, to be honest. I could have seen a 3-2 mm-hmm. or a 2-2, something like that. But this was, I mean, it was an odd score because it, it flattered Man United quite a lot because Chelsea were, for all intents, at least for the first half, they looked like the better team. They seemed mm-hmm. to have more possession. They seemed to have more shots. They hit the woodwork a couple of times, didn't they? It just seemed like it was a huge collapse, a huge capitulation mm-hmm. on Chelsea's part at the end, combined with... I suppose you could call, I think I've seen it called a classic Jose Mourinho performance in that you sort of sit back and you're yep. a bit negative and then you just blister the counter attack at the end and it worked magnificently for the United, didn't it? It certainly did. We're going to talk to Jose Mourinho in a moment, and I think it's probably going to end up being a longer conversation than either one of us expected uh, because he was doing uh, punditry for Sky, and I yes. found him fascinating. Mm. Uh, but I also wanted to talk about what your point about how it kind of it seemed like it was going to be a little bit more evenly matched, and maybe it could have been. And that's why, why where I wanted to kind of implement a new approach to uh, our weekend reviews, you and me. Uh, we're going to bring back the kind of thumbs up, thumbs down that Daryl and I used to do. Right. We're going to keep it a bit more general and just do thumbs up, thumbs down to each team that we're talking about and I'm going to give you a third option of like thumbs teetering almost of like somewhere in between going back and forth because I watched this game and then I rewatched chunks of it and it's 4-0 certainly 
you can like find like good moments for Manchester United, obviously. But for Chelsea, I don't think it was as bad. I don't mean for that to be a sort of Chuck Klosterman contrarian. Like actually, if you look at it again, it could have been much. But like it just felt like Chelsea had their moments where if they're a little bit sharper, if they have their rhythms down, they Abraham maybe takes another touch and doesn't hit the post. He puts that in the back of the net. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mason Mount has a bad ball. Ross Barkley has a bad ball. Like it could have been three 0 the other way for Chelsea and. And I think you're absolutely right then that once United get that goal, they're able to sit back a little bit and then they're able to counterattack and be pretty ruthless on that counter. But I don't think it it should be quite so gloom and doom as I think some Chelsea fans uh, have kind of approached it as being. Um, But that said, it, it has also been a sort of confusing situation for me because... I don't know how good this Chelsea team is, and I'm wondering, Ryan, if you have thoughts on that. Because you look at them, and if you remove the Chelsea name for a moment, and I kept trying to put them, I don't want to be disrespectful to Everton, but like if you put them in, like like if you put them in another blue jersey, like Cardiff, for whatever reason, have been wearing blue. Um, mm. Like <laughs> like would you say like like are they that different? Is is a weird way of putting it, but like Tammy Abraham starting up top, Mason Mount as your number ten, like Jorginho is obviously a. a, a High quality player, but he's not that like the star name that maybe Aiden Hazard would have been. Kurt Zuma, yeah. like it, starting at center back and having a shaky game. It just I don't know where we should kind of put this Chelsea team in terms of the kind of like almost like power rankings in the Premier League, or I don't even know what our expectations should be for them. So I'm wondering if you have thoughts on either of those because uh, I've been rambling for a moment. You have. Uh, I think that perhaps <laughs> this isn't a, a good barometer of this Chelsea team and where they sit yeah. on the power rankings because. I don't think this is the Chelsea team we're going to see in the next few mm-hmm. weeks because, you know, we had, as you say, Kurt Zuma coming in because yep. of the injury. We had Jorginho and Kovacic in the middle too because presumably N'Golo Kante didn't have full match fitness, although we saw him right. come on at the end, of course. I think uh, I'm not sure it's going to be Tammy Abraham starting uh, over Giroud top. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure on, uh, you know, Ross Barkley. I think Christian Pulisic has a great shout to get that spot over Ross Barkley based on the performances we saw in this match. I think that basically, I think for a first Premier League game under Frank Lampard, given the injuries, given the tinkering, given the differences to this team to last uh, last last season's team, Mm -hmm. I think that was incredibly good. I was impressed, and you know, I would definitely give it thumbs wavering, teetering, maybe even thumbs up, despite the heavy defeat scoreline. I think I'm there with you, and and again, I'm glad I'm glad you uh, dove on that grenade first. But yeah, I, I think I'm right there with you that you never want to lose your opener four 0 especially if you're Frank Lampard taking over Chelsea. Mm. But uh, we mentioned Mourinho earlier, and one of the points that uh, he made on Sky, which I really enjoyed, I'm flipping open my notes frank- uh, frantically. Uh, with Frank in place, they didn't buy players, but I think they bought time, and mm. I think that's a very good perspective on it, which is that they kind of stated their intentions right there. We're going to give Frank Lampard a year. We're going to have this transfer embargo. We're going to let him kind of find his managerial footing. And I think the pressure is as off as it can be for a person taking over uh, a club like Chelsea, given their sort of proclivities of hiring and firing managers whenever they so so choose. So I do think he probably finds himself in a good situation, and I think they'll improve from here. Yeah. My conundrum was also in this game, Christian Pulisic coming in. I'm a Manchester United fan. I want to ask you, Ryan, is it okay to root for Christian Pulisic? Is it okay for Americans to root against Pulisic when he's playing the team that they support in the Premier League? Where do you come down on this one? This is a tricky one, obviously, because um, it makes me think back to when my team, Wimbledon, were in the Premier League and we'd be playing against players like David Beckham or Paul Scholes or Alan Shearer. And when they're wearing an England shirt, I'm expected to cheer for those players. But when they're on the other side to my team, I'm expected to boo them. 
And my feeling is always that it's okay to root against Christian Pulisic if he's playing against your team because he's not the reason you're watching this league. Uh, this Premier League and the team you support in the Premier League, uh, for, for, from the American perspective, existed mm. before Pulisic came there. And That's I think that did. should be your priority. And I think club is always generally your priority. And it's lovely to have Pulisic in the league. And I think he's, we're going to be seeing a little bit more of him, judging by what we saw in this game at Old Trafford. But I think it's perfectly fine to, uh, to neg him a little bit. All right. I feel better about that. So, And I feel better <laughs> that we're on the same page about Chelsea. I'm going to assume you give Manchester United a thumbs up. Uh, that's where I am going. Uh, so would you give them a thumbs up to start off? Thumbs up, baby. Okay. I think it was pretty good performances all round. I mean, the only thing I could really criticize was Luke Shaw absolutely showing no willingness to do any overlapping whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, it's not really his style. Uh, <laughs> I've said this before, but but I, I will tell this story again. Uh, I covered them in preseason once, and all of the English uh, journalists who were traveling with the team, Luke, Luke Shaw made one run down the sidelines, and they were all screaming from the press box, go on, fatty. So <laughs> that's, uh, I know, exactly. And then that's I think, a bit much. And then I think he made one really aggressive, lung-bursting run, and somebody suggested that it was because he thought pizza was at the end of the run. So oh, yeah, it's a, I bet that was his a, season a done as well. <laughs> what his, his one sprint on the season, that was it. That's all he can muster. Hanging oh. up the boots, lads. That was my sprint. <laughs> right, so maybe, maybe not Luke Shaw, but Ryan, uh, for you, who did you think was the most interesting or who looked the sharpest for Manchester United? Uh, I thought it had a couple of really good performances. Obviously, Marcus Rashford was rather good uh, up top. Anti Martial had a very good game, but... I was very impressed with some of the new boys in the back, Harry yep. Maguire and uh, Juan Bissaka. I thought both very good and very uh, both very good at containing Christian Pulisic when he came on as well. Mm-hmm. They gave him absolutely nothing up in, in in the end third in the end, did they? But though, um, I mean, Maguire, I've said despite his, you know, he was very expensive, but I think he's going to prove this season that he was worth every penny and he's got off on the right foot here. Definitely absolutely gave them a bit more confidence in the back. And I think that's something that Mourinho said on Sky as well is it, it just physically having that, having him there will give the team, give the players further up the field more confidence because they know that someone like Maguire is behind them. And Aaron Wan-Bissaka, obviously it was doing good things on the flank as well. I'm very impressed with both of them. And Lindelof and Shaw, I could give or take their performances in this game, but I thought Maguire and Wan-Bissaka in the back line, very, very impressive. And we can't rule out the fact that Paul Pogba had a beauty as well, didn't he? I mean, he really did in that he had this sort of like France World Cup game, that more mm. so than like the Pogba doing amazing things, but maybe not being as effective in that like he was in this game, he did a lot of good solid work in the midfield. And then every now and then you saw those moments of like, oh, yeah, Paul Pogba is very, very good. Like for yeah. the uh, Rashford second goal, the third goal overall, I think it was that ball over the top that's like perfectly weighted and perfectly mm-hmm. timed. And almost hit like sort of no one else on the field except for maybe Rashford sees it coming. Like that sort of skill is why I'm very happy that Paul Pogba is still wearing a red jersey. Uh, yeah. I'm saying that very much as a Manchester United fan. Well, I think he was up for it definitely. And obviously his distribution was excellent, as you say. But maybe it links back to the fact that he had Maguire behind him. He had players mm-hmm. behind him. He could trust a bit more. Gives him a bit more time in the ball. Gives him a bit more confidence to do what he does. And to make those blistering runs like he did for fourth goal. And, um, yeah. you know, it was... Um, I was just very impressed with him. It's, I think it's the best we've seen him in a long time. Yeah, and then I, uh, worth noting, uh, if you are a United fan, I think stayed after, went around the field, applauded all the fans, gave his jersey away. I think was maybe trying to sort of show like, no, I'm still here and I'm really happy to be here. And uh, that's how it is. And please like me again. That, that was uh, some, <laughs> some solid marketing work on his behalf. I have been struggling because since last season, since kind of the way things went at the end of the year, again, this is more like fan perspective uh, to say that up front. But like, 
I have not loved that they haven't hired a technical director. And so I've had friends ask me, like, are you going to be excited about this season? Like, how are you feeling? And I kind mm. of refused to get excited. But as soon as kickoff happened, I definitely found myself really wanting to root for this team. So I think I'm just going to try to do a thing where, like, every season they don't have a technical director, I'm just going to be 5% less excited. So right now I'm, like, 95% excited about this Manchester United team. But I'm not going to let myself get that final 5%. Well, and the well, next year it'll be 90%. Did your did that percentage change at all when you saw the fact that Maguire, Wambasaka, and James were all very good in this game? Because it didn't it hurt. Basically said, it didn't hey, hurt. <laughs> all our purchases were great. We don't need a technical director, right? I mean, yes, except that, like, and this is where we can talk because I loved Aaron Wambasaka. Like, I I knew he was good. I sound foolish, but so be it. Like, I knew he was good playing for Palace. I didn't know he was that good. And to mm. see him just st- completely shut down that side was a moment of like, okay, yeah, maybe Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia probably weren't getting that job done. But there was an element of sour grapes in the Sky Studio because they kind of, the pundits were talking about how good Aaron Juan Basaka looked and how good Harry Maguire looked. And then there was kind of a cut to Jose Mourinho and they were like, is this, is this kind of what you were asking for a year ago? And then there were some chuckles because <laughs> it does feel like maybe this has been a thing that was very obviously needed for Manchester United and they finally uh, pulled the trigger on and now I think look better as a result. But since we're talking about Mourinho, let's talk about his performance. Uh, we're, I forgot this was happening because I kind of forgot that he doesn't yet have a job. Uh, that was how they began the coverage from what I saw was by saying, like him basically saying, like, I'm here until I'm not, uh, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, and I really enjoyed having Jose Mourinho in studio, not least but because everybody seemed to shut up whenever he talked and just listen, which is a rare thing in that studio. Uh, Ryan, were you equally uh, enjoying Jose Mourinho? I think he might be the signing of the season, if I'm honest. I think he was go. very good. There was lots of interesting things he said. And I think one oh, I think one of the quotes he gave was about Frank Lampard saying how I don't doubt his football knowledge, but what I doubt is um or what I potentially doubt is how you translate that to, you know, action on the field, how you translate that to getting it to the players, basically, which he mm-hmm. says is what obviously what makes a great manager. So it's that unknown quantity of Lampard at the moment. I think he was very good when he was talking about the Chelsea defence as well, about how when they're compact and when they're not, basically he was saying in transition, Chelsea were completely unprepared because the back line was so spread out and they needed to get compact very quickly. And that's why they gave away a few of those goals on the break. And it was just Mm -hmm. really eloquently put simple points that made everyone else in the studio look like they were not quite on his level, I thought. I I, I 100% agree, because for every moment of, like, Carragher and Neville bickering about something or Sunis, I don't know, being mad about Pogba's hair. <laughs> yeah, like jo- Jose explaining things in such a clear, succinct way. That, like like Daryl and I have been doing this show for like over 10 years now. And to hear him explain how like, well, there's a low block or there's a high block. They both do the same thing. They're just different parts of the field and they allow you to play differently. Right. Like that's that's such an obvious answer but it's also one that i think is never quite put that simply and so for me it was like oh yeah it is just a high block as opposed to a low block Mm. and and it kind of changed the way i was i was like looking at things a little bit and i felt like he kind of helped explain bits and pieces here and there uh, in terms of like actual tactics and strategy but then i think also gave very good insight into how a manager's brain works like i enjoyed he got one question about like uh 
you know, w- was it a problem for Chelsea today that like they didn't have as many senior players and that they had to rely on some like non-senior players? And do you think that changes? And his and his immediate answer was, um, it's not a, it's not about senior or not senior. It's about performance, and they have to be able to perform at the level that they're like like. And he kind of disregarded what was a very like pundit question, and instead was much more like, well, no, it's about how you fit in and how you execute the game plan. This player, for example, didn't quite do what was asked of him, so then they were able to do this. Like, I, I found that sort of clear explanation of the way coaches think and act in games incredibly uh, insightful and as yeah. a result I kept like scouring the internet to find more clips because you can't find the whole thing you can find about 14 minutes of like highlights and then a few segments here and there but I would encourage people to go watch because he uh, he definitely brought it I think you're right it's, it's a pretty good signing by Sky yeah and um, Sky Sports I think put a lot on their YouTube which is globally available in the US mm-hmm. as well so you can definitely find uh, quite a lot of it there but I feel like it was because most of the time we see um we see him being belligerent in front of a camera yep. because he's always on the mm-hmm. you know on the back heel defending mm-hmm. himself. Whereas here he was a bit more free. I felt like he was basically like a Cliff Notes for the game, like a really good <laughs> Cliff Notes. Like whereas I, he cut he cut through the the blunder of the others and just gave you the oh yeah he's right about that. I had it. I had it as uh, it was similar to a visiting professor, like auditing a class that they teach or something. Where it's like basically like you'd have everybody bickering and like raising their hands to talk, and then he would just speak from the other side of the room, and everybody would just be quiet and listen the whole time. And that was right. not a thing that anybody else, a luxury that anybody else was afforded. And I think <laughs> it shows you sort of the way the reverence in w- with which he's held by at least Carragher and Neville. Uh, maybe not Sunis, but those two specifically. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think he was he was great. And due to the relationship that NBC and Sky have now, uh, mm-hmm. one being owned by the other, uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of Mourinho and his, in his Sky performances perhaps brought into the NBC broadcast. And I hope that's the case. So I hope we see more of him. I would be all right with that. I do wonder, if you had to bet right now, do you think he finishes the season managing somewhere in Europe? Or do you think he stays where he is? Do you think he takes over a national team gig? If you had to get bet right now, Ryan, what would you think happens? Oh, I have no idea. It's it a tough depends one. how the chips have fall, doesn't it? For it? That's tricky. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, yeah, cause like, uh, aside from going to like a big, big club, it feels like... Maybe he like takes over some massive club in Russia. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he goes for the money play at, at a certain point. But I, I hope he sticks with uh, Sky Sports now and then maybe uh, like becomes an NBC Sports person and then eventually uh, you know takes over Daryl's job as uh, the, the other co-host on the show since he, y- <laughs> you and he are going to st- start your own show, I think. Is that where we're heading? Just not. As long as Marina doesn't do Mondays, I'm fine with that. All right, that's fine. That's fine. All right, well, we're going to talk uh, other Premier League matches in just a moment, but first we should talk about today's sponsor, our friends over at SeatGeek. If you ever need tickets for anything, uh, make sure to check out SeatGeek. They've been basically simplifying the process of buying uh, tickets. It can be difficult. It can be difficult to know who to trust. Uh, I said this a long time ago, but my dad once bought from a disreputable vendor for about four times what the tickets should have been. Oof. And then the tickets weren't there when uh, we went to the event. You don't have to worry about with th- about that with SeatGeek because all purchases are guaranteed. They have, uh, uh, what, 50,000 or more five-star reviews, so you know you can trust them. You know you can get your tickets reliably from SeatGeek. Absolutely. And SeatGeek pulls in millions of tickets from all over the Mm -hmm. web. It rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. This is what I like about it the most. And it displays them on that fancy interactive seat map they've got. So you've got the green dots telling you it's a good deal. Red dots, not such a good deal. And by the way, can I just say I'm (laughs) sorry that you and your dad didn't get to see the Spice Girls that time. But you, um, they might be on tour uh, in the future soon. So you can see them again. And uh, SeatGeek is a very good place to look for tickets. I'm actually on the hunt for some Casey Musgraves tickets at the moment, Tay-Tay. Does she float your boat? 
uh, I, I'm still trying to remember which of the Spice Girls was my favorite and how I've never really come to terms with the fact that was Posh just there to be looked at? Did Posh ever sing for the Spice Girls or was she just kind of there in the background? She, she didn't sing very well. Let's put it like that. Okay. All right. So are we going ginger for life? Are we going scary or sporty or baby? Where are you, Ryan, on the Spice Girls? See, you've opened this can of worms and now I'm going with it. I appreciate the musicality of acts like this. And it was scary and sporty who were the ones who could actually sing. So it's between those two for me. All right. So if you wanted to get tickets to the Spice Girls or for Casey Musgraves, you could you could at least look for them on SeatGeek. I don't know if the Spice Girls are presently touring, but if and when they do, there will be tickets available on SeatGeek. And best of all, uh, our listeners can get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Uh, all you need to u- do is use the promo code TSS for $10 off your first purchase. You can use that for concert tickets, sports, comedy, uh, Casey Musgraves. I don't know. W- w- where would that be in there? I'm, I'm assuming uh, concert, but w- what genre would you? classify she's country baby all right (laughs) well if you want to see country baby you can uh, (laughs) and you can get ten dollars off uh with the promo code tss on your first purchase thank you very much to seat geek for sponsoring today's episode of the total soccer show our first weekend review of the 2019 uh 2020 season uh we move on with that review but first i want to go back to Mourinho just to say he was asked the question up front who do you think will be the champion this season? Uh, he said he had four options, Man City, Tottenham, Liverpool, and Man City's B team. And while that's a joke, it also feels slightly true, uh, especially when you see that Man City destroyed West Ham away 5-0 on opening day. Uh, Ryan, I kind of thought they would pick up where they left off, but there's always a little bit of rustiness. They've kind of got to knock it off a little bit, and then they kind of find their form. With Man City, it felt like, yeah, they had that for about three seconds, and then they went right back to being Manchester City. Yeah, they're straight back in there, aren't they? It was an interesting they one, sure this are. one. Because um, it never felt like they got out of second or third gear in this game, yet they absolutely dominated. When they wanted to turn on the Jets, they very much did. And mm-hmm. I, I, I found some very interesting things in the lineup here. Obviously, Riyad Mahrez getting a start out. Wasn't expecting that. No Bernardo um, Silva in the, in the mm-hmm. squad at all. I, I did see on Instagram that it was his birthday. Maybe it was just saving, giving him the day off on his birthday. Do you ever have the day off on your birthday when you work like a nine-to-five, by the way? I know people who did that. I never understood that. Uh, when I worked at 9 to 5, no. When I've done the Total Soccer Show, Daryl Grove finds ways for me to have my birthday off because Aww. he's very sweet. And in exchange, to be fair, in exchange, when it's Daryl's birthday, I ask him the day after, was it your birthday yesterday? So that's that's where I am in terms of uh, co-host uh, thoughtfulness. Well, Tay-Tay, that's why I love recording with him so much. Anyway, <laughs> I, I move on to Man City. Uh, no, no Bernardo in the squad either. Um, and, and mute for Ryan. All right, cool. <laughs> Fernandinho not in the squad either, which I didn't think was a very Pep move because Man City and and Pep like to plan things several steps ahead. I was expecting Rodri to kind of be introduced gradually into this team. And yet he got thrown in at the deep end fairly quickly here. And I mean, he he wasn't uh, 10 out of 10, didn't have a 10 out of 10 performance Mm -hmm. in this one. But you look at his stats, I mean, he had 96% pass completion and wasn't quite uh, doing the, he was trying to do the, you know, foul a million times like Fernandinho thing, but maybe not quite as successfully as Fernandinho did. So I think um, it's good to sort of blood him in at this stage, and especially in a game where there was a comfortable win. But I wasn't expecting to see him turn up in the middle no. quite as quickly. And the other thing I'd note is that Kevin De Bruyne was back to peak Kevin De Bruyne in this game, wasn't he? That's yeah, wonderful it to see. Yes. Yeah, I, with Rodri, like, I, I didn't watch, uh, I think I watched the second half of City West Ham. And I should say it the other way around, but I won't because they won 5 0. Uh, but like, I saw so many comments on Twitter from people talking about Rodri and how bad he was and how, like, oh, this isn't going to work. And like, oh, this is a mistake. And 
watching him again, I felt like he was fine. He has the two mistakes early on. He has like the one slip up at the top of the box, and then he has like another sort of like slow gets caught in possession. Yeah, and and to me, like that is almost like the nitpicking of like the final rounds of Top Chef or something like that. When you're sort of like, oh, slightly too salty becomes this major thing, and it felt more to me like people just kind of want Man City to have something go wrong, and so yeah. they're like, oh, this guy's not going to work, and then when he does. Pretty much exactly what I think he was brought in to do, including a lot of tactical fouling, which we can talk about if you want. Sure. Um, but like, it felt like, oh, no, he's going to kind of fit in right away. And yeah, maybe nobody plays like the perfect passing that Man City or like a lot of other City players do, but that's because they haven't played in that system for multiple years. Yeah. I think a couple more weeks or months of it, and Rodri will look just fine in that City lineup. Not to say that he didn't on the day, but to say that some of those uh, wrinkles, I think, get ironed out pretty quickly. I think that the worst thing you can say about Rodri in this game was he didn't quite move the ball quick enough. And I think that's yeah. something that can come with time, obviously, as he gets used to the system. Uh, Pep's mm. quote about him after this game, Rodri would be an incredible signing for us. Rodri doesn't have tattoos, earrings. His hair is like a holding midfielder. Okay, A holding midfielder must be like this, not thinking of the rest. So he's basically saying he's no Paul Pogba. He's, he's, a, he's a nuts and bolts holding midfielder. And that's exactly what we need. And that kindly does fit the uh, Man City ethos of the kind of players they hire, doesn't it? So I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't know why he has to constantly mention the tattoos and the earrings, that he drives a normal car and that he helps old ladies across the street. This is all wonderful because what we really need is for him to be a, the successful engine in this Man City team, which I think he's, he definitely can be. I think, um, I think it's a good signing. I think he's going to come good. Would, would we consider Raja Nangolan a holding midfielder? I'm, I'm genuinely now trying to think, like, it is kind of the case, though, that I feel like holding midfielders tend to be a little bit sort of buttoned up and straight-laced, and maybe that's what you have to be if you're going to be running around putting out fires and putting in harsh tackles. Yeah, I think there's, uh, there's, there's definitely a trait to that. I think that definitely fits in with the Man City mode, because as, as I say, they're, they're mm. never going to sign a Neymar, they're never going to sign a Pogba. They always tend to go for these players who don't... Well, I think Pep goes for those kind of players whose personality doesn't supersede his own. All right. <laughs> well, let's let's talk a bit about VAR, uh, if you don't mind, Ugh. because VAR, very much prominent in this game. I, I guess I can tell what your perspective on VAR is going to be. Uh, that wasn't my uh, happy rules side. Out, <laughs> it certainly was not. Rules out a Gabriel Jesus goal, validates a Raheem Sterling goal, and then uh, what was the third use? It was used three times in this game, and I'm forgetting the other one. Uh, Sterling, it was the penalty retake, and... Oh, the, it was the retake. There it is. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the third. Uh, so... This is one uh the match of the day uh fellas basically had to do the like and we're going to go change the subject now because they were not making any progress on this one. Right. I'm guessing we'll probably end up doing something uh similar but Ryan like where are you generally speaking when it comes to VAR? Before we talk about this game in particular like do you like the use do you like ha- like the idea of it being implemented uh not even necessarily like the intricacies of it but when it was first introduced when you first started seeing it used did you like or were you against tay tay i'm a long way into my var journey now before it was okay. introduced a long time before it was introduced i, mm-hmm. I wrote most multiple pieces about how it was absolutely necessary about how the correct income in games where there's such high stakes is the of the utmost importance and as we've seen it introduced and as we've seen sort of the the way it's been used in various tournaments we saw the way it was used in the women's world cup in a very draconian way and it seems like there's been an element of that uh, carried over into the Premier League too, with Sterling being offside by an armpit, basically. Yep. It just seems like in instances like that, and instances like the, the penalty being reintaken, it doesn't really benefit anyone. It doesn't. There's, Sterling and you know wasn't getting a huge benefit from having uh, being an inch in front of play like that. Uh, and, and for the disallowed goal too, I, I just didn't. I just not, I don't like it. I think one of the main reasons I don't like it, Taylor, is that. When we look at the little quick NBC highlights that we get at halftime of games and between games, 
half of it was VAR incidents that are of no consequence. I want to watch mm-hmm. actual incidents that are of consequence, shots and chances yep. and stuff. But half of it was like, oh, this went to VAR, that went to VAR. Don't care. It doesn't, it, it doesn't seem to... It, it's just adding another... I get that they're doing that because it's a new thing and they're showing us mm-hmm. what it's all about and they have to do that. But I'd just rather it wasn't there in the first place now, I think. It, it's, it's also like... It makes it more difficult when it when it is sort of used in the way that you're talking about, especially for the Gabriel Jesus uh, goal when Raheem Sterling is... Well, maybe an inch offside, maybe yeah, a half an inch. I'm not if that. Yeah, indiscernible, exactly. indiscernible. And I think the only reason why this maybe it's probably getting talked about a lot. The reason why I think it's not getting talked about as much as it would be otherwise is because it's City and they go on to win five nil. If this were the other way around and it were West Ham getting the opener and finding a way through and then it being called back, I think there's much more outrage about it. That said, until the rules are changed, which is the thing Daryl and I have talked about a little bit. Um, it's it's like it's being called according to the rules. Like they're calling it correctly, and that's what's so harsh about it is that while it seems like really offside by like his shoulder was an inch too far, yeah, it's still correct. And so there's that frustrating like it's technically correct, but it feels wrong, and I don't love it. I was more okay with the penalty retake, mostly just because I really get frustrated by encroachment when you have five players inside the box as the ball is being struck. But it's not necessarily a thing I think to look for, and maybe that will change now that like with VAR coming in, I think I'll probably be. I did find myself watching Fabianski to see where his foot, like his feet were. They were obviously off the line, but that wasn't the reason why it went to VAR. I did not find myself looking at the top of the eighteen to see if encroachment did happen, and maybe that's something I'll start to pay pay attention to now yeah. that I know refs are going to call it. But I think in that instance, that's something where I don't think it should have been used because. The attacking player in a penalty situation already has a mm-hmm. huge advantage. And they gave, mm-hmm. you know, Aguero a second shot at it. You take a poor penalty and you got to take a good one. So I think it's really unfair in that respect because he didn't deserve that second chance, in my opinion. I don't, I don't disagree at all. Except, well, there's no except here. It's just I don't disagree. <laughs> where, I, where I struggle is that I think I am, like, very literal-minded. And so my brain goes to, like, well... That's kind of the rule. That's how VAR is called. So he's offside, even if I'm annoyed by it. And I think that like that is good in the sense that it allows me to like know what the rules are and kind of abide by the rules. Mm. But I think it's also it makes it harder for me to then be like, yeah, but it's I don't like it. I don't like it. So like when you just explain the encroachment thing, I'm like, yeah, but that's the rule as you're making a like coherent logical argument about why it doesn't necessarily need to be called i'm still like but those are the rules ryan so i guess what i'm saying is i'm a stickler and you're a creative those uh, are the rules dreamer. everyone needs to stick to the rules <laughs> won't, we, won't we play by the rules yeah i get i get it i get what you're saying because that was my attitude you, a, a while ago and you I can still... throw in a you can throw in a won't someone think of the children if you want to it's probably in there too <laughs> more flanders r.i.p and uh <laughs> I, I yeah i totally get where you're coming from with that but i just think that this is an instance where a bit of nuance could have been exercised and VAR doesn't allow for nuance. I think it's my problem with it. And while we're talking about no, VAR, can I just jump on and talk about the tactical fouling, which we touched on a little minute ago? Yes. Manuel Pellegrini, yes. Uh, he said, every time we tried to arrive in their box, they committed 13 fouls, which I thought mm-hmm. was quite humorous. Um, but, you know, he was saying we were a little bit innocent to their tactical fouling. And what I wonder is, obviously, the tactical fouling does occur in the Rodrigo Fernandinho area of the pitch quite often. I wonder if VAR mm-hmm. is going to stop that classic Guardiola trait a little bit because they're not going to. Maybe they're not going to do that as much. I, I, maybe I'm just talking nonsense here, but do you think VAR limits that uh, part of I think, Guardiola's game? I think only when it can be called back for like like 
Actually, I don't know how the Premier League is going to enforce that. My assumption is that only if it's like maybe he missed violent conduct or something like that off right. the ball. What what I'm hoping though is Pellegrini talking about it and uh, like pundit like again match of the day brought it up. I th- I think like the Sky Sports people did as well. More eyes on it. I think forces referees to have to take action because. There are moments when it does reach the absurd of like the other team gets the ball and the player's knocked down. And I mean and it's and it's it's a usable tactic until it's not usable anymore. And right, right now it's it doesn't get called and so they're going to keep doing it. I don't know if VAR allows sort of like a, a yellow card if the referee didn't realize that it happened like six times in a row, but that's also what the referee's job is. So I'm just hoping more so they start calling that as it becomes clear that that is an effective tactic that Man City are using, hmm. which is not illegal, but it's it's right on that line. Again, it's it's not breaking the rules, but it's kind of breaking the rules at the same time. So uh, I guess I am in this case uh, siding on the rule breakers line. If that's cool with you. Oh, so now you've gone to rule breaking. I like. I think it. I have. I don't, it's hanging out with you, Ryan. You're a bad influence. There you go. <laughs> I'm about to get on my motorbike and ride off into the sunset. But before I do, um, I, uh, my favorite stat from this game: West Ham have conceded 99 goals in all comps at their home stadium, London Stadium. Man City have scored 22 of those, despite playing in only five of those Jeez. 68 games. They've scored seven percent of the goals that West Ham have conceded at home. I think that's. Pretty Brilliant. That's troubling. That's troubling, <laughs> I have to say. Um, I don't. I, I do know there's other games to talk about uh, more than just the two Manchester clubs. Uh, but before we move on, uh, you mentioned some numbers in there. Uh, one worth bringing up. Uh, Pep says Man City need uh, above 90 points, he thinks, to win the title this season. Right. Ryan, uh, I also have in the show notes that Ryan thinks that they're going to lose six games this season. So what do you make of those two numbers, Ryan, and how do you think they, uh, they go together? I think they go together quite lovely because obviously 90 points means he wants 30 wins or a combination of draws and wins to get to 90 points last season what was it four losses um i predicted i actually wrote a piece for the athletic where i said they'd lose five games in all competitions mm. don't like to brag but they did uh or i didn't pick the correct games to be fair but um um <laughs> I, I feel like this this competition this season is going to be just that little bit harder you know uh, as much momentum as pep will have in this fourth season with city mm-hmm. i think the, the competition is only getting harder in the premier league i think there's more teams out of the big six who could potentially take points off of them and when you look at the teams who did take points off of them last season it was your crystal palaces your leicesters your newcastles i think there's going to be a bit more of that going on um i still think man city will win the league and i still yep. think they'll probably get above 90 points but I, i'm i'm predicting Six losses. I'm predicting, um, you know, a bit more trickiness at Christmas time, perhaps. All right. Th- that makes sense to me. I-, I-, I am 100% with you that right now I have City winning the title. I think Liverpool probably second and Tottenham probably third. Um, and I think the reason As, uh, why... every single pundit in the- on the planet has also I- said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I heard, I heard a few say it was like definitely going to be Liverpool, and that felt like they were deliberately being contrarian. <laughs> no disrespect to Liverpool. It's just that right now wh- what tends to happen in my mind is teams win a title, and then it's either very difficult to repeat, which is the case. City have done that, though. Mm-hmm. But it's also the case that teams figure you out. And like you look at that Leicester team that found a way to win, and teams kind of kept not adjusting to them and letting them do what they wanted. And I think... At least a big part of it is as soon as teams are like, okay, well, we're not going to let them spread. We're not going to let them play these long balls. We're going to put them under more pressure. Like, I think they kind of figured out Leicester. They lost pieces too, which City haven't really done. And, and so, like, and then 
they basically aren't able to have that success. Whereas City have more or less kept this team intact, have strengthened in a couple positions where they needed to, and have kept their top performers more or less intact. And I still don't think teams really know how to deal with them. If you sit deep, you give them possession, they find a way through. If you try to go at them, you get spread and stretched, and then they find a way through. So I think until a team sort of establishes the blueprint for this is how you, at the very least, frustrate them and keep them from scoring, Mm. I think they're going to keep winning. So I'm with you that it's basically City's to lose in my perspective until somebody comes along and proves or like kind of demonstrates a way that they can lose it felt to me like there was a slight change for Guardiola in this game I don't know if this is too small a sample size to look at but it seemed to me like they were letting West Ham have a bit more of the ball in their own defensive Mm -hmm. third whereas I don't think they would have given them even that short shrift (laughs) in previous instances like the 4-0 last season I don't think they gave them as much as the ball as they did so I don't know if that's a deliberate change of tack from Guardiola but as you say this is a team that even when they're in third gear, they and, and and they are a bit sloppy. They were a bit sloppy in this game, but they they can be so quick and so slick. And to to do that without even getting out of third gear is is all the more impressive. And I think that's as you say, they're just going to take some beating. And the times, as I think I mentioned this dozens of times on this podcast, but the times when they were beaten last season, it was when the holding midfield wasn't what it should be. It was when Fernandinho was absent or when he made mistakes, uh, which is why I think Rodri's so important to this team and how his development's going to be very important. So that that seems to be. The the one they're they're one Achilles heel if you were it's, it's getting them through the middle so I don't know I, I still think they're going to be uh, going to take some beating I still think they're going to win the league boring all right I, I I am with you I don't even think it's boring I just think <laughs> you're being realistic in your appraisal right well I say um, boring but much... it is wonderful to watch as well aren't they they're great to watch you can't deny they it. really are it's like especially uh, <laughs> again I don't want to keep gushing but like that the disallowed goal was one that I had to watch ten to 15 times not even just because like why was it disallowed why is this going to VAR but just because the movement and the pinpoint accuracy of some of those passes it it, I don't know how you coach that I would love to know how but even if I did know how you coach it I still wouldn't know how they do it so effectively just the off the ball running that before the first pass even happens the eventual recipient of like the fourth pass is already making a run into the area that he needs to be in order to receive it I just that sort of clockwork understanding that is also like improvisational at the same time is really genuinely fun to watch even if you don't like manchester city uh yeah they, are, like they city, are very well drilled very they're very well drilled taylor they have a maniacal manager who makes sure they are well drilled i think that's what it yep. comes down to basically and you say that that, that silver back heel for the third goal was sublime the ball over the top where the, yep. for the goal that looked pretty offside uh that 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 was just incredible running off the ball too and one of the things jose Mourinho said on sky was that the best thing about them is the way they play off the ball rather than on it And they have a well-groomed manager, which is my way of transitioning into uh, our sponsor for the day, Manscaped. Uh, Manscaped is the number one men's below-the-belt grooming product. Uh, Ryan, I was a little apprehensive to make you talk Manscaped uh, on this show. It's not an advertisement you've done before. Uh, So I put it in there, and Ryan's response to me was, I already know about Manscaped. I have one of their trimmers. Ryan, explain yourself. I'm a proud Manscaped customer, baby. I'm a big fan of their trimmer. I've had one for uh, many months now. the, uh, the lawnmower 2.0, I believe, is the model I have. Mm-hmm. It has proprietary skin-safe technology. So this trimmer does not nick or snag your nether regions, Tay-Tay. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I must say, I have to uh, say something here. I don't actually use it for below-the-belt topiary. I use mine right. on my face. 
And I think that that puzzled you a little bit, but it's really good for like beard trimming. And that's what I use it for. I use it yeah. to keep my sideburns in trim and to sort of give the facade that I actually have a chin. So I sort of shave below it to, uh, <laughs> to, 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 sh- to shape things out. So that's what I use it for. And I'm very, very aware that it can be used for uh, below the belt action. And it's very, very good for that indeed. But I wouldn't use the same one on, on my chaps as I do yeah. on my face, basically. But that's I, I, a, that's a, a very fan. key distinction. Yeah. <laughs> uh and but and so when you've initially mentioned that it was surprising to me but then like like obviously with the like distinction that you're not using it on both areas at the same time key one there but second of all like I have talked previously about how the lawnmower 2.0 that you mentioned previously um it is very small and it is like almost travel sized and if you're on the road it That's fits in <laughs> Sorry, I miss I missed you, Ryan. I missed you a lot. <laughs> um, it does. It fits in the travel bag much like it's much smaller, but it's much easier to use as a result. And yeah, to your point, if you're trying to do like that's what I tend to shave at this point. I have the beard, but I try to keep the lines like on my cheeks, sort of straight and together. Yeah, you can use it for the upper lip. You can use it for like like catching the neck beard as well. So you're absolutely right. Like it's it's a much more maneuverable thing if you want to use it on your face. But the reason why it's more maneuverable uh, and lightweight is because you are supposed to be using it in the nether regions where you don't want to worry about uh, nicks or snags or anything like that, as yeah. you mentioned. Uh, and that's where Manscaped comes in because they also have lots of other pr- uh, products. They do have the razor if you want to get an extra close uh, shave down there. Uh, but they've got, say, the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer, which I will, I will say uh, is very good in the, in the hot sort of summer stickiness uh, that I'm sure you've experienced in North Carolina. We've experienced Experienced in Virginia. Oh yeah. So using uh, any number of their products in any number of ways, uh, I would say is a solid uh, approach to manscape. That makes uh, Ryan, so much I'm sense. By agree. the way, the crop preserve. Not only has it got a great name, but why do we put deodorant on our armpits every day when we don't, mm-hmm. you know, take care of things down there? It makes totally yeah. logical sense that you should do that. It really, really does. And only until like it's pointed out that that's what you're doing it for is like, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Now we just need a, a feet preserver, I guess, in case you're, uh, you got some smelly feet. Uh, but before that happens, uh, the good news is that you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code TSS at manscaped.com. Uh, once again, that's TSS uh, for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Uh, always use the right tools for your job. Your nether regions will thank you. Uh, Ryan, with uh, Manscaped considerably talked about, let's go back to the Premier League. Uh, shall we go to Tottenham's 3-1 win over Villa or Arsenal's 1-0 win over Newcastle? Why don't we go oh, wait, to... Excuse me, let's go Liverpool-Norwich. My yeah. mistake. <laughs> I've completely ignored our own running order and jumped ahead. Tate, it's let's almost talk as Liverpool if you were talking Norwich about one. balls and you balls that one up, eh? Like that? I miss you less now. I missed you more. Now I miss you less. Uh, <laughs> Liverpool 4, Norwich 1. I'm going to say just weird game. Weird game overall. Uh, you have the VAR sort of, because uh, I didn't see this game live. I saw your note that VAR had a nightmare. Yeah. But I then watched, and I was like, I don't see any VAR happening. What's he talking about? And that's because there was a, like, what, disconnect? The system broke down. There's five minutes where the head- headset wasn't working. VAR literally broke down. Even if it didn't make any, like, botch any calls or anything like that, the system did not work, yeah. uh, albeit temporarily. I had to run out of the room for five minutes, and I came back, and the players were all on the field, like, just practicing with balls, like, kicking balls around. I was like, this looks like the game hasn't started yet. Have I just have I gone back in time? I can't understand what's happening. But it, it transpired the VAR had broken down. So another uh, thumbs down 
Tay-Tay, for the AR for me, for that perspective. But also, we did have some good things in this game. We had another bad thing in that Allison got that calf injury. It's going to keep him out of yeah. Wednesday's Super Cup. But the good thing was we, we got our first streak reaction. I think we I had was a wondering mans- if that was where you were going. We definitely had a Manscaped customer, I think, because... Uh, <laughs> He 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 was he seemed to be a, a nose way around a, a trimmer mm-hmm. down there, but also he couldn't quite get his own pants off. Did you notice he tried to take them down? Ended yes. up just sort of running with them around his knees, and they eventually felled him. So I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of the uh, poorly planned streak like that. Wonderful stuff. Wonderful. The, it, the poorly planned streak is well put because there's always that thing. There are a few like there's some videos I've seen where like the person it's usually baseball like they run through and manage to get back into the outfield and somehow escape. I feel like those are staged, but more often than not, the person just runs on the field and then suddenly is like, "Oh, I'm here now." Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to do anymore. I did not think this through. Also, it's and a clothing issue to the because aggressively. the ideal clothes would be the party boy pant from Jackass, the pants yeah, that you just rip off so. and start dancing. He didn't exactly. really think the shorts through enough, frankly. No, I mean, you gotta have, you can't wear like skinny jeans if you're trying, and like boots if you're trying to go on like a, a nice run here. You really gotta think it out. The, the tearaway pants, I'm with you on that one. Some comfortable shoes to make sure you're, maybe even like some, if not like studs, because that would stand out, maybe some turf shoes so you get a little bit of traction in there so you can cut and cause security problems as you continue your running around the field. Definitely. You're already getting arrested and probably a lifetime ban anyway. You may as well make it last as long as you can. Should we make it clear for legal reasons that we don't condone this kind of behavior, Taylor? Meh. <laughs> very good well i'll Whatever. make it clear that i'm wearing those tearaway pants right now it gets very hot in my studio in north carolina so i'll just put that one out there can i talk about norwich though um i suppose i suppose that makes more sense than me talking about streaking for another five minutes <laughs> i did uh, you know the, what, the, the team who sort of uh, one of the several teams well, one of two teams who was surprised to come up i'd say um mm-hmm. from the championship and they conceded 57 goals last season 34 at home the sort of style of play that daniel farker plays kind of more of a big six style i'd say they like to keep possession they like to play these short passes they play with pace they got the fullbacks whizzing up the field all that good stuff that you see from the really good teams and Farker has kind of decided to stick to his guns here, hasn't he? Because what we saw was quite a lot of that in this game. And Farker mm-hmm. said after the game, we we will stick to our principles because the squad is made for playing this football. Um, that does feel like it could be trouble. I mean, but on the other hand, you look yes. at someone like Fulham who completely changed their game, completely changed their players, didn't work out for them so well. So it's admirable, admirable that they're sticking to their principles on this one. But I do think as the season wears on, playing against sides with stronger non-championship squads, it's going to catch them out a little bit, I'd imagine. So we already kind of abandoned the thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm just going to assume we're both going to give City thumbs up, West Ham thumbs down. So with... With Norwich, though, where are you then? Are you giving them a thumbs up on this one? Because this is kind of specifically the type of team why I wanted to have this conversation. It's why yeah. I remembered the system in the first place. Because I don't know right now, because it's it's a it's the one-game sample size of, are they going to be destroyed by everybody if they're too open? Or is this just Liverpool being really, really good? For me, this is a big old yellow emoji of a thumbs up, frankly. I think okay. that, for, for the reasons stated, I think I'm, I'm pleased that they stuck to their principles. I'm pleased that, you know, Timu Puki got on uh, last season's championship mm-hmm. top scorer, actually got on the score sheet in this one. Norwich had quite a lot of chances. It wasn't as if Liverpool completely shut them out like a City would have done. Uh, you know, they forced a couple of, uh, couple of saves. It was uh, Stiepenman who had a, had a really good chance mm-hmm. on goal, didn't he? They, they, were, they seemed to be given or created lots of space in the final third. Jurgen Klopp 
Pop said they were cheeky as hell. Ha, ha, ha. And with his uh, with his count um, <laughs> laugh. Um, sorry about that. Uh, but he was, he, I think by the cheeky Apology comment, he, <laughs> he meant basically that they were playing the kind of game he didn't expect them to play. He expected them to try and sit back a bit more. But that ain't what Norwich are going to do, it seems. Nah. No. I mean, and I guess for better or for worse, in this game it was for worse as they get pretty much torn apart by Liverpool because it's 4-1 to one on the final scoreline. It could have been... A lot more. There's like the one that stand out stands out is like Firmino and Origi at the back post, and Firmino tries to take like two different like swipes at the ball, misses both times, but it's a wide open goal that he can't put it in. Yeah, it's a weird angle, but it did seem like Liverpool were sort of uh, suddenly found themselves at a shooting gallery and could have scored uh, even more goals if they had uh, maybe been a little bit more clinical. I, I felt but like it um, also makes sorry oh, to interrupt. I felt like the most concerning goal for Norwich was the third, the Virgil Van Dijk header from the corner. Yeah. He barely moved. He barely moved his head he even really to did. get that thing. He didn't jump. He was being marked. And yet he still got that header away, which I felt for a set piece for a team coming up was slightly concerning. I mean, it is Van Dyke. He's very good in the box with his head, but he, he didn't. He was 10% effort on that one, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, if that. And then, uh, and then even less effort on the celebration, which is always, I think, the more insulting thing. It's like, it was only 3-0 at that point, or maybe 3-1 at that, it was 3-1 at that point. But like, like just the, the sort of like, eh, I scored, whatever, I don't care. Like, yeah. just that sort of reaction from a player is just like, oh, we're not even competition to you anymore. This is a bummer. <laughs> it, and it was also fitting, I think, Virgil van Dijk scored, given Raheem Sterling, uh, gets the hat trick for Man City. And it, it is sort of fitting that both players score. Virgil van Dijk has a strong game, as we've expected. But they kind of keep that race. It's basically Liverpool and City kind of started this season where they finished last. That they're both seem to be high flying, both capable of scoring goals, and their two like star players seem like they're going to be right in that con- in contention for player of the season at the end of the year once again. Yeah. So, yeah, strong Liverpool. Uh, it, it, I think it's only just that I don't know what to expect from Norwich for the rest of the season, and that they were so open is why I still have Liverpool as number two, and just kind of the overall strength of Man City as number one. But I am expecting. Another uh, strong challenge from Liverpool and a few changes of position, uh, hopefully, this year. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that 100%. I will say I do like the Friday night games here that we go, or Friday afternoon as they are here. Yeah. Um, it caught me unaware because I was like, oh, the season starts. I forgot all about that. So yep. I had to put the TV on for it. But one thing I noticed, this is, this is a, a, a minor point, but I hadn't switched on my cable box all summer apart from for the Women's World Cup. And I was like, why have I been mm-hmm. paying for cable all summer long when the only thing I watched was I did the NBC same sports? thing. I did the same thing. It was yeah. I like haven't I haven't done much TV watching, and suddenly it was like, oh yeah, right, other shows. That's yeah. cool. Apparently, there's other channels on this cable thing I have. Who knew? Are Who there knew? though? Are there though? Well, there's not. It's mostly no. it's mostly just soccer channels. I think at this point. A um, <laughs> few other games to touch uh, touch on. Uh, Arsenal uh, getting the win on the road against Newcastle, one nil. Uh, I would say an encouraging start from Arsenal, especially given how many starters they did not have. And I would say kind of similar thing for Tottenham, who I'm sure we'll talk about as well. Just that encouraging signs that they get the win, they get the three points. And in both cases, some of their starters or players that we presume will be starters not involved. So I think well done to Arsenal, but maybe commiserations to Newcastle fans because it seems like it's going to be another season of not fun soccer uh, up in Newcastle. Yeah, it wasn't off on the best foot, was it? I mean, the Mm -mm. pathetic fallacy being the device where the rain, uh, where the weather matches the mood and it was raining heavily uh, for this entire game at St. James's Park. Uh, Andy Carroll, who'd have thunk it? He was injured for this one. The hometown hero didn't get to play I know, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. Um, uh, Joel Linton, I think that's a Joel. I think you emphasize the L. Uh, Joel Linton uh, wasn't Mm -hmm. too bad, though. I think he had a 
pretty decent header that forced a good save. Uh, but, you know, it was kind of this 3-5-2 that Bruce is playing. Didn't seem terribly coherent. Didn't seem like there was much going on, uh, you know, much communication going on. So, I mean, credit to Arsenal, though. C- clean sheet away from home on the first day of the season is great. And as you say, the likes of David Luiz, Ceballos, uh, Pepe, uh, Martinelli weren't, you know, on, on the bench or didn't play. Mm-hmm. So it's, I-, I think, very encouraging stuff. And obviously, Aubameyang getting off uh, to a great start as well. Maitland-Niles, that run he made for the goal. Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. he could teach Luke Shaw a thing or two, couldn't he? <laughs> he certainly could. And the delivery for Aubameyang uh, yeah. with that cross from Maitland Niles was lovely. Yeah. I have to say, you threw me for a second because you said Bruce so fast. Like you said the three five two that like Bruce is running. That for a second I thought you said Berusia, and I was like, wait, did I miss something completely? Is this this is a different team? Is it a former manager from Bruce Dortmund? No, it's not. It's just Bruce. I apologize. Uh, but- when I'm excited, I don't enunciate properly, darling. That's the problem. But you still call me darling, and I and I get all sheepish and blushy, so it's fine. <laughs> do you do you actually? I, you know, this is totally fitting for the Arsenal conversation. Um, do you still get that where people are sort of like, ooh, like an Englishman, or is it just sort of like commonplace these days that there are so many people all over the world that it's less exciting to have an accent? Oh no, around here, hundred percent of the time, mm-hmm. they're like, "What part of Australia are you from? <laughs> South Africa, are you? Oh, I don't get English because I think they assume that I should speak in a different way than I do. I don't know." I just I still get those moments where like we'll get into an Uber uh, like me and Daryl and I'll start talking and there's no there's no sort of reaction and then Daryl will say something to me and you can see their head perk up like ooh Englishman what? and it's just it's a, I'm like why are they looking at Daryl like oh right 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 accent I went to a concert also last charming. Friday funnily enough I went to see John Mayer in concert last Friday night um, at the, the, the basketball arena in Charlotte mm-hmm. and I went and got a drink and I, I made my order and the guy went oh you're British and it really threw me because no one ever gets it first time no one ever gets because I always, because I always slightly Americanize when I speak. Uh, like, uh, can I get a water? You know, I have to say things like that, like that to. Well, not sounding like that because I said that sounded ridiculous. But um, <laughs> what I'm trying that, to say is, I, it threw I me that they Philly actually Pittsburgh. got me. Oh, sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it, it, it threw me because nine times out of ten, I people think I'm from Australia and I can't put my finger on it. G'day, just say g'day. You're fine. That's, Bonza, that's Bonza, mate. Oh, and that one I don't know. Now you're even more Australian than me, which Go is to see. say. Any more Australian. Um, uh, so we mentioned David Luiz there. Uh, I, am, I am of mixed minds on this one because I saw Arsenal fans really excitedly celebrating that David Luiz had been signed, that he was going to be playing for the team. And I was sort of like, yeah, but it's still David Luiz. Uh, and then I told Daryl that Daryl was in here very briefly and then he, uh, he left today. He'll be back later. Uh, but when I mentioned that to him, he was like, I mean, you've seen Mustafi play, right? Which is a very good point that yeah. I think compared to maybe who else was there, uh, it is probably going to be a good signing. W- where are you on that one? Are you uh, thinking David Luiz will do well for Arsenal or you think it's going to be kind of more of the same when it comes to that defense? I think um, David Luiz gets unfair treatment from soccer fans particularly the Twitterati, but um, I think he deserves his reputation for going off on adventures at the same time. And as much as I think he's going to be good for, you know, distributing, I think that's probably why he's there. One of the most important reasons he's there is to get those balls up through the middle and up to the up to the flanks. But I don't think he's the kind of defender that a, a defence like Arsenal needs, if that makes sense. I think they could have used mm-hmm. a more Harry Maguire-ish style centre-back to shore things up rather than one who's going to be a bit tricky. Um, so as much right. as he's a good player, I'm not sure if he's the 100% right player for Arsenal at this time. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. Uh, and then I have another like slightly meandering question for you. So I invite you to buckle up here. But oh another thing that stood out to me for Arsenal was that um, 
They had Joe Willick in the starting 11. They had uh, Reese Nelson starting, uh, which Opta Joe pointed out was, I think, the first time they've had two English teenagers starting in a Premier League game for the first time since, like, 1998. And Ooh. it did make me wonder, like, I think we often hear about teams, especially, like, after a major tournament. So last summer, after the World Cup, you have players returning, like, late from break from their vacation, so then they're not sort of like match fit in time for the start of the season, which is why I say Timothy Weah last season starts a couple games for PSG, then Neymar comes back, everybody comes back, and he eventually gets loaned out. Right. I don't... I may be totally wrong, and I'm fine with that being the case, but it feels like that isn't always the case with Premier League teams, that I feel like they really work to have their best possible teams starting, and that's why this stood out to me, was that like Arsenal have these two youngsters, Man City or Manchester United. I think like the the stat doing the rounds was that they didn't have a single starter over the age of twenty six. Mm. They had a lot of young uh, players, uh, not just from England, but like from the home nations as well, and then other young players from around the world. Chelsea are obviously embracing their transfer ban to the extent possible by bringing young players through. And I guess I'm wondering, like, is is that new? Am I, am I wrong, or does that feels new to me that suddenly you're getting these bigger? Like the top six clubs are kind of giving these younger players more minutes than I think we've seen. Certainly more minutes than like we've seen in relation to like German German clubs of a couple years ago. You know, starting Christian Pulisic as a seventeen year old to suddenly see English teams doing it. It feels like maybe a page has been turned, but maybe it's just the beginning of the season. So I wanted to run that by you and see uh, what your thoughts were. You're right. That was a meandering question. There you go, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... Uh, it's the I, only type I ask, Brian. <laughs> it's a good observation, though. And I think, I suppose my answer is, I don't think it's a new thing. If you even look at, say, Louis van Gaal, he had a policy mm-hmm. of playing all the kids all the time, didn't he? It's a good basically? point. But yeah. I suppose it's new for this stage of the season, where, as you say, you'd be expected to field your very strongest eleven from the outset. And teams, as you say, like Chelsea and like Arsenal, haven't necessarily been doing so because they've been putting the youngsters out. And I suppose, to a certain extent, Man United, too. I think good for them. I think it's great. All right. And then, uh, <laughs> so good for them. Good for Arsenal getting the win. Good for Tottenham also yeah. getting their win 3-1 to one over Aston Villa. Again, uh, no, what, no Vertonghen, no Delielli, no Cessnion, no Lo Celso. Christian Eriksen on the bench comes on, obviously has a big impact. Mm. Harry Kane scores on the season opener, so he breaks that sort of curse such as it was. But this felt like one where initially Villa go up 1-0. Jack Grealish looks great. Tottenham couldn't sign him, and now it's like, oh, here's our narrative. And then by the end, it's just sort of like, oh, yeah, Tottenham get three points. They look convincing. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, it was a, it was a narrative I wasn't hoping for, to be honest, because uh, I'm, I always cheer for the underdog. I've got nothing against Tottenham, mm-hmm. but I saw Aston Villa go up, and we saw how good Grealish was. saw how good Trezeguet was. Wonderful mm-hmm. to say the word Trezeguet in a soccer context again. I loved, oh, I loved yeah. that very much. And uh, John McGinn, obviously, with the goal, and that's a player mm-hmm. who Sir Alex Ferguson, we're told, uh, wanted Manchester United to sign, and we can see why. And uh, Aston Villa made, what was it, 13 signings in the summer, and there's been a lot of questions about whether they can make these players blend, and there's a lot of players we didn't see new players in this team, and a lot, of, and a lot that we did. And, you know, uh, Tyron Mings was, had, had a good game, McGinn had a good game, Wesley up top, eh, not so much, but... Uh, 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 I thought Mohamedy uh, uh, right back wasn't so bad either. But I, I, I was impressed with Villa because I thought they offered more than I expected from them up until about minute 73, uh, which is when Tottenham <laughs> basically got back into it. But um, yeah, I thought it was a very entertaining game as well. And Tottenham were good, good value for coming back for the win as well. Uh, very entertaining. Well done to all involved. 
I, I fear for Mauricio Pochettino that he's going to get, like, yes, Tottenham have gone out and made a, a, a few signings, certainly more than they did last season. But I fear for Pochettino that he's going to be able to, like, or he's going to get this reputation of a manager who continuously finds a way to win despite, like, not getting, like, strong reinforcements in that, oh, like, Harry Kane is out injured and we don't have a replacement. Well, we'll find a way to make Llorente work. Or maybe yeah. Lucas Moura and, and Son will start up top. And I, I think he's just very adept at adjusting and getting his players to adjust. I, he must be a very good communicator. Because to your point, yeah, like things were not going their way. I think they looked a little confused. It looked like a team that like still had various parts arriving and signings coming in and hadn't had a full preseason. And yet by the end of the game, he's able to sort of figure things out, convey what he needs done to the players on the field in the moment, and then they're able to execute. And again, it's another reason why I think Tottenham will be a strong team, even if they haven't gone out and signed eight players and like sort of short up everything everywhere they needed to. I yeah. still think they're going to be a very difficult team just because they are so maneuverable, adaptable, versatile. So one of those words. They're one of those words for sure. They're one of those words, definitely. And let me ask you this, Taylor. Do you think Poch or Mopo, as I've come mm-hmm. to start calling him oh, recently, boy. Um, do you think he's actually happy? Uh-huh. Do you think this thing where he's sort of digging at the ownership and digging at the lack of signings, do you think it's a game he's playing or do you think he's actually unhappy? Because part of me thinks this guy just wants to get out and he missed his shot for going for Man United and he missed his shot mm-hmm. for a few other jobs is there a chance he jumps ship like maybe before Christmas what are you thinking about that I, I think that like like we have this idea this is like very ill-informed probably but I'm gonna roll with it anyway like I think we have this idea that managers and front offices and ownership like groups are supposed to coexist and mm-hmm. that they like everybody if everybody's on board and everybody's happy then everything's good. But I think about the managers that have found a way to win and historically found a way to win. And it's managers like Alex Ferguson and Jose Mourinho who, you know, say what you want about him, but he he has won championships in the Premier League. And I think it's the kind of combativeness with the front office is part and parcel of that, that yeah. you've got to always be pushing and seeing what you can get away with and asking for $100 million because you want $70 million, But you can't just say, like, well, that's what I wanted the whole time. you still got to kind of agitate and play the game a little bit. And I think Pochettino definitely plays the game very well and knows when to be public about things, when to give just the right amount of information away about a player, about a couple players, about a player he wants to sign. But with all that said, I do think that there comes a time when it becomes like, yeah, this was kind of gamesmanship, but now I'm annoyed that when I asked for a hundred million but thought I'd get seventy, I got twenty million. And I know they spent more. Again, signed three players this season. I get that. But yes, I take your point that I think at a certain at a certain time, when you look across the way and you see clubs spending a hundred million pounds or one hundred and fifty million pounds on one player, two players, three players, you start to think like, yeah, maybe it's going to take a little bit more. Maybe the grass is actually greener somewhere else. But for now, I think he's he, he's happy, and we'll see if Tottenham continue to kind of support him. And maybe they make a signing or two in January. Maybe Pochettino ends up happier than we expected. Yeah. By the way, this th- that reminds me, I saw two Tottenham sort of. Instagram fan posts over the summer and we'll get your opinion on both of these one was a bachelor party where the shirt was it was a brand new Tottenham shirt it was turned round and it had a zero and the name was trophies which made me think of Poch <laughs> and it was a, a very good bit of banter there and then there was another one I saw which uh, the number was like 90 plus five and it said Mora and the A's went all the way down <laughs> the side and it was like yeah that's that was a great moment in Tottenham history but also it was a competition you didn't win and didn't put up a very good fight in the final so it's it's a bit it's a bit like uh like moneyball have you seen moneyball yes 
where they go on like the record like the record breaking streak and that's all wonderful but like it feels like that's where you've got to end the movie because if you end the movie with like and then they were eliminated in the playoffs it's like <laughs> oh all right well i guess yeah. <laughs> it just it doesn't like i like that jersey more uh because it's it's funny and clever and and less hurtful but also yes i take your point that it's like yeah, but you're still celebrating like a goal that you went in a tournament that you didn't actually end up winning. Yeah. So it was a fun moment in the moment, but maybe not sort of. I'm sure they would have taken uh, like hoisting some silverware over that goal. I'm, I'm assuming that's the case at least. Oh, but everyone had a lovely time, didn't they? Didn't have a lovely time. They did. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to skip past. Uh, there are some young Americans I wanted to talk about, but Daryl and I are going to be recording another show uh, later today. We can get to them there. Before we get to scouting, Ryan, I did want to talk to you about. The topic that I think you and I like to talk about, it's a player we enjoy. He generates headlines. He's for good and bad and occasionally horrible reasons. Oh, John Let's Terry. Let's talk Neymar, oh. shall we? Oh, yeah. No, John Terry. <laughs> yeah. John Terry's John Terry. No, we're going to talk <laughs> Neymar. Uh, he got uh, some – it was not that chant, but it was something similar to that chant. Basically, he got like the puta chant, I think, yeah. from – uh, PSG fans, uh, which was confusing because he is not Spanish. They are not Spanish. Not sure why they were chanting in Spanish, but whatever. Uh, were there also negative banners against him? Is that what I read? Yeah, so there was one that's uh, Neymar Cassetoi, which means Neymar mm-hmm. go away, which is very literal. I like that one a lot. Yeah. There, was a, there was another longer one, which uh, I, I, I think basically Neymar Cassetoi was the only one that's fit for broadcast, basically. And there were chants mm-hmm. against him. Um, he wasn't even playing. Uh, the reason given was that he's injured, but afterwards Leonardo um, my favorite teammate mutant ninja turtle said honestly it's not only his physical state that kept him out of this game so obviously there's some stuff to happen here the european window is still very much wide open doesn't seem like the parisians are too happy with our boy who might be uh, headed headed off to spain but <sighs> i mean if you're a madrid fan or a barcelona fan do you, do you really want him i don't know no, no. It's it's and and I think at time of recording, it was being reported that his lawyer, who's the one who went in and and like paid the the release fee so that he could go to PSG in the first place, yeah. is at Barcelona today. So make of that what you will. Did you see the pictures uh, of that guy? Oh no! Oh, it's wonderful. Look him up. He's like wearing a bow tie. He looks like a. I think I saw uh, someone on Twitter describe him as a cruise ship magician. He looks wonderful. Uh. <laughs> That's such a devastating description. Just picture it. <laughs> but I know exactly what it looks like now. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, like I don't, I don't see why if you're Barcelona and you've spent all the money you've already spent this summer. First of all, I don't understand how you can afford him. I'm sure there will be some weird financial loopholes and loans that aren't really loans, but whatever. If yeah. that ends up happening, but also like they've gone out and invested heavily, significantly. I don't know why you'd want to bring in another player that potentially causes drama, causes problems, and also like publicly divorced your club and wanted to leave. Basically, I think you're kind of welcoming him back to a situation in which they've gone out and signed, what, Frankie de Jong this summer. They've got Antoine Griezmann at time of recording. They still have Coutinho. They still have Dembele. Obviously, everybody else that plays for Barcelona is still there. So it's just, it feels like a thing that you're doing just to say, hey, and we brought Neymar back. We've got another huge name. Yeah. We don't really know how it's going to fit, and we don't know how, how we're going to fit everybody in. Maybe one of them will play left back or something. But <laughs> it it just it doesn't really make that much sense to me. I'm kind of hoping that Barcelona just, like, are doing it publicly to pull the rug out from underneath him and be like, ha just kidding, go back to Paris. Oh, that would be a good move. Yeah, and that would be fitting with the way things have gone down. Because we, lest we forget, they did sue each other, club and player. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And 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 this is one that like I think maybe I'm I'm 
slightly more negative just because I was sort of a Neymar apologist a few years ago. Like during the World Cup, Daryl was really frustrated with Neymar, was out on Neymar. Even like going back to like 2016 and the Centenario, even maybe 2014. Like I, I like a lot of what Neymar does when he is really focused and doing exciting Neymar things when he's not he is very much not focused and is off doing his own thing and not playing for PSG for various reasons and not really taking it seriously and and with that though like I think the difference being for me like between Neymar and somebody like Ronaldinho is that Ronaldinho you kind of got the impression that he was never going to take it that seriously that like Dino, it was like, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to win games, I want to win, but I'm also like, yeah, I want to go to Carnival. I, I like literally look like I'm dancing when I'm on the ball. And he kind of brought that joy to it that yeah. almost made you forgive him a little bit when he would be out partying until 4 a.m. Whereas Neymar is like, ah, I'm going to do a bunch of stepovers, but then yell at my teammates and then not play for three games while I go out clubbing. Like, I just, yeah. I, I know that's very biased, but I'm okay with that. I just, I, I find him really frustrating because he's an example of a player who could be that next Messi, that ma- next Ronaldo, and I just think has made very questionable decisions on and off the field and has put and has now put himself in a position where, like, it should be a huge deal that maybe Neymar wants to sign for you. And instead, my feeling is like, why? Why would you want to invite that circus? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a good comparison with Ronaldinho as well because he's a player who you got, just got the sense he wanted to enjoy his life and you were happy for yeah. him. Whereas the stuff yeah. you see Neymar doing off the field, you're not so happy for him. You do, you, you, a lot of the stuff you think he's doing for clout, he's doing for other reasons. So, yes. uh, yeah, I think Neymar has put himself into a corner where he's basically made himself uh, unmarketable and <laughs> can't, can't really go anywhere, in my opinion. So no. uh, it's, it's of his own yeah, doing. It is. And I'm, I'm not even going to ask you the, like, the then question of, like, well, where does he end up? Because the answer is neither one of us knows because it just seems like such a strange situation. But it's one that we will definitely be keeping an eye on and talking about in future shows. Yeah. Uh, we'll also be reviewing a wider variety of games in future shows. But I've been on vacation. I'm back. These are the games that I wanted to talk about. Next week, we'll talk about some other ones, especially because more leagues are coming into play. Yes. But right now, I wanted to do a little bit of uh, updating the scouting network, if that works for you, Ryan Bailey. I'm not sure. Have you done scouting? before on this show i'm a scouting virgin baby okay so for those who uh do not know uh we do have our version of patreon where you can support uh the total soccer show monthly at 5 10 15 20 and 25 dollar levels uh at any level you are given a player to keep an eye on if you want you can be a silent scout and sort of just say no here's my money i don't want to do anything but if you're looking for a way to get into a team or you want to like follow a player from a country you like uh or even just a young player that you're excited about you've heard about you want to follow that's where the scouting network comes in. You can uh, join the scouting network. Daryl will assign you a player, or you can suggest a few. Uh, and then you provide us updates, which we use to kind of keep listeners informed of what's going on around the world. We've got 10 or 11 reports to get to today, starting with Jim Brochar, who's scouting Jonathan Klinsman, the 22-year-old American goalkeeper, now for St. Gallen. I think is how you pronounce it. Young Klinsman started in a friendly against Borussia Dortmund, but things did not go his way as he con- conceded four goals, including a header softer than a ripe camembert uh, that Squirted through his legs in an eventual four to one defeat. I love that. Ripe, uh, softer than a ripe camembert. He's got a future in copywriting as Jim Brochar, isn't he? I think, though, that <laughs> he does. Uh, he's Keith, Keith Sparks has won scouting in the player he's mm. been assigned. He's been assigned Jao yeah, Felix, in, in, uh-huh. who is, of course, the 19 year old Portuguese sensation who signed for Atletico Madrid. After his 126 million euro transfer away from Benfica, Jao Felix has been having a great preseason, culminating with a goal and assist in 35 minutes at the MLS All Star game. He also played, um, I'm adding this to Keith's uh, comment here, but he also played, I think it was a 
friendly against Juventus, was it last week? And he scored a couple of crackers in that as well. He's he's one to definitely watch. I think we're going to be hearing a lot more of that guy. Yes, I think so. He was electric when he came on in that All-Star game. Joe and I were there. We watched him. He good is my uh, my summary of that one. Um, Philip Andriani scouting Andre Green, the 21-year-old English winger on loan at Preston from Aston Villa. After a decent preseason, which included a calm finish against Charlton, Green was loaned to Preston North End. He has struggled for minutes and fitness in the last couple seasons, so this could be a solid move for Green as he'll get a full season of minutes in the championship. Absolutely. Plenty of Green for Green. Hmm. Ah, well done, sir. Well Michael done, sir. Curry is scouting Hadji Wright, the 20-year-old, um, 21-year-old American forward for mm-hmm. Vey, 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 baby. After securing a move to Vey, 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 Venlo. What a name. Mm-hmm. Wright started the first match of the Eredivisie season, playing the entire match against RK. He didn't score, but he did draw a penalty after he used his pace to put the goalkeeper in a bad position. He then started this weekend in a 4-1 loss to Sparta Rotterdam. How do you pronounce the team that they uh, beat? I went for RKC Valvik. Wow, that was was impressive pronunciation. I mean, not not be right, but I went for it. I mean, it sounded good. I also have to (laughs) wonder, like... At a certain point, the people who named VVV Venlo just decided we need another V, right? Like, that mm. didn't just happen. They had to have chosen, like, well, we've got two Vs and we're going to be Venlo. Let's add a third. Why not? Why not two Ws? I mean, that would have made more sense, <laughs> wouldn't it? Be more economic. <laughs> Ryan's all about efficiency. I appreciate that. <laughs> I obviously am not. Uh, Todd Ito scouting Takafusa Kubo, 18-year-old Japanese attacker for Real Madrid. Kubo impressed during preseason, so much so that he put Zidane in a difficult decision when deciding on his first-team roster for the season. Per La Liga rules, clubs are limited to three squad players from outside Europe. They were previously uh, Eder Militao, Vinicius Jr., and Federico Valverde. However, Valverde was able to gain his Spanish citizenship, thus leaving one place open, which was unfortunately taken by Rodrigo, Rodrigo with a Y. Uh, although it's been reported that other La Liga teams have pursued loan deals for Kubo, he will almost certainly play with the uh, Castilla side and train with the first team in Madrid, as was originally planned, says Todd. Wonderful stuff. Let's move on to Christian Daprich. Let's do it. Christian Daprisu scouting Patrick Cutroni, the 21-year-old Italian striker for Wolves, or Veve Ulves, as I like to call them now. Cutroni <laughs> moved to Wolves from Milan for a fee of £16 million. He then came on as a substitute, but couldn't find the net in their opening day draw with Leicester City. Leicester City. Um, I, I'm still kind of amazed that uh, Cutrone was able, Wolves were able to get him for £15 million, I think, was was there, £60 million, yeah, 16 is in there, right. Uh, I, that seems like a very solid deal. I really enjoyed what I saw from him when he was playing with Milan. That seems like a player, especially given that Wolves looked a little bit wasteful in front of goal in that game. I think he maybe uh, ends up having a strong season for them. That is not the steal of the season uh, of the window for me. We'll talk about that one uh, a few scouting reports from now. But right now, we're going to talk about Ben Mines, who's scouted by Ed Ritter. Ben Mines is the 19-year-old American attacker for the New York Red Bulls. Uh, Ryan, the joy of the scouting network is that sometimes the reports are super short. Uh, this one is, so I can read it quickly, and then you can read along. <laughs> One. Ben finally returned to action after yet another injury, coming on in garbage time during New York Red Bull 2's 2-0 win over St. Louis. Love the application of the term garbage time to soccer. Very much in, fa- in favor of yes, that. Sir. This one, uh, Ben Hefner is scouting a guy called Jaden Sancho. 
Are you familiar? I don't think I've heard of him. Apparently, he's a he's... 19-year-old English winger playing for Borussia <laughs> Dortmund. Hmm. Anyway, the young winger had a goal. What did you say? Yeah, I mean, this is all seems uh, foreign to me, but let's let's see what Ben has to say. He says the young winger had a goal and an assist in Dortmund's mm-hmm. 2-1 win over Bayern München in the German Supercup. The assist was a perfectly weighted ball that Paco Alcacer hit first time from the edge of the box, and the goal was a lovely solo effort. Sancho picked up the ball just past the midfielder, dribbled into the Bayern box, unimpeded, and then cleared. Clinically mm-hmm. finished past Manuel Neuer. He's not even missing Christian Pulisic. Uh, I, I had hoped he would, but instead Jaden Sancho also picking up right where he left He's off. He's probably glad that uh, Pulisic has gone. Yeah. There's going to be a weird merry-go-round, isn't there? When like <laughs> uh, when Lira Sana goes to Bayern Munich and then Man City buys Jaden Sancho from Dortmund. That's probably going to happen, I feel like. And, and then Dortmund lose out once again. Yeah. All right. Uh, but on a less depressing note, Nick Imhoff is scouting Emmanuel Sabi, 21-year-old American forward for Hobro. Sabi was not included in the 18 for Hobro's latest game. This comes two days after Hobro sporting director Jens Hammer, great name, admitted he doesn't believe they will be able to hold on to Sabi this window. Uh, the final destination remains the important question as to where Sabi ends up. Wow. Just imagine that business card. I'm Jens Hammer, Hobro. <laughs> yeah. what, a, what, a, wow. what a handle. I love that. That's big fan. That's solid. That's a solid one. <laughs> Jan van der Hesselink remains my, my favorite ever soccer name, but uh, <laughs> Jens Hammer is up there as well. There we go. I think this is probably the last one from me. Brian Gardner is scouting Moise Ken, 19-year-old and Italian This is the forward. one I was talking about. Yeah, he's, uh, he's uh, coming to Everton, of course, from Juventus. I think one of the mm-hmm. signings of the season, à mon avis. Yep. Moise Ken has completed his move to Everton on a five-year deal for £25.1 million, which could rise to £27.5 million. Ken hopes to be the striker Everton has been missing since Romelu Lukaku moved to Manchester United and then very much stopped moving around, I will add. Uh, Ken's first action for Everton will likely be against Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. This was written, obviously, before that Which game he happened. Which did uh, do and didn't do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but that is the signing uh, that I, I alluded to earlier when I was talking about Cutrone. Uh, what, 25 million? Uh, maybe it rises, maybe it doesn't. Mm. That is... A very good fee for a player that I think is going to be very good in the Premier League and is leaving. Uh, he was one of the ones who was racially abused at least once, maybe twice, uh, in Italy last season. Yes. Still did well for Juve, didn't let it affect his play. If anything, kind of rose to the occasion and uh, stood front and center against some of those fans. So I think going to England, where uh, he will hopefully deal with less of that and yeah. instead be kind of front and center for Everton and as they maybe shape their attack around him, well, I think it's going to be a great signing for Everton. Yeah, he's one of the reasons that people are touting Everton to potentially break into the big six, as is your next and final scouting report. Oh, yes. Uh, Ben Tundera scouting Mason Holgate, the 22-year-old English defender for Everton as well. After reported interest from Burnley, Bournemouth, and Sheffield United, deadline day came and went, and Holgate remained on the books at Everton. The clubs were already inclined, uh, the club was already inclined to keep him, uh, but their inability to secure Kurt Zuma on a permanent basis made a move away even less likely. Holgate is with Everton, so too is Moise Ken, and I think that will be good for Everton in the long run. Uh, Good for the Total Soccer Show in the long run is the presence of Ryan Bailey, who has been wonderful today. It is wonderful to have you back on the show, Ryan. I look forward to next Monday. Uh, Unlike Garfield, I look forward to Mondays because I get to talk to you. Always a pleasure, Tay-Tay. Never a chore.